Yo, yo, just a disclaimer. This podcast is meant for informational purposes only. We are not financial advisors, so please do your own research. Welcome to Going Deep with AJ and Vernon, presented by Vayner Sports Pass. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Another episode of Going Deep with myself and my co-host, Vernon Wells. Uh, it's a beautiful Monday here. This episode's dropping tomorrow on Tuesday. But uh, Vernon, checking in. What's good, man? How are you? Doing well, man. Doing well. We actually uh, had a fun weekend. We actually flew uh, on Sunday to – flew out Sunday morning, went and watched Chiefs Bills, and flew back home Sunday night. Um, nice. It was – it was fun just being in a different environment. We have cowboy season tickets, so that right. kind of corporate that's kind of corporate football. Um, but then you go into football country and it was it was a unique experience. So I love football and it was a crazy weekend in football, that's for sure. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I think there was uh, at least for the one o'clock, I want to say it was like five of eight games had the underdog winning outright, um, yeah. including uh, the Jets had a great dub over the Packers, the Giants over. Um, the Ravens. The Ravens. That was a good one. Man, the Ravens this year, they're close to being 6-0. and They've lost by a combined like nine points or something like that. Yeah. And a lot of it has been – I think they've had the lead in all three losses and mm-hmm. a decent lead in all three losses. So that's been a wild ride for those guys. Um, pretty crazy to see in general, not just the Jets and the Giants, but how strong New York sports are right now in a world where like I think Boston dominated for a while. Boston had like, yeah. a decade-long run of just dominating. Um Phillies on the brink right now. You got the Phillies advancing. The Eagles are six and zero, but I mean, Jets are four and two. Giants are five and one. My Knicks look good in the preseason. The Nets have high expectations and a ton of talent. I think the Rangers are the favorites to win the cup, or were the favorites before the season to win the cup. Um, I mean, the Yankees are as of this minute. You know, Game Five is in about three hours or so, but Yankees. Uh, still in the mix, making strides. The Mets had a great regular season, came to an unfortunate end early for them, but yeah. New York sports are kind of back. What do you think? It's a good time to be in New York, uh, if you're a sports fan. Uh, but yeah, that's, I, I think anytime New York is is in the playoffs or teams are playing well, it's it's great for whatever sport that is. Like that's, it's always been that way. You need you need the city of New York and the teams that are there to be successful. When that happens, the market's bigger. That's just that's the nature yeah. of the beast. Uh, like you yeah. said, Boston was for a while, but it didn't have the same impact as New York, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm also and I I clearly have a bias because um, my teams that I grew up loving kind of fall into this. But I'm a pretty big believer that sports are better when the either major market or the iconic teams are good. So, for example. Mm-hmm. I think the NFL is better when the Cowboys are good. I think yep. basketball is better when the Lakers are good. The Knicks are good. You know, I think baseball is better when the Yankees are good. Um, again, bias being in that New Jersey, New York area my whole life. Um, but it's kind of what you're saying. And I think Dallas, like when the Niners are good, the Cowboys are good, the Steelers are good. I think football is better personally and sports. Yeah. Generally. So I think we're, we're saying the same thing here. Oh yeah, it's those household names. I mean, I think that's the biggest right. thing. It's you you have you have symbols and logos that are synonymous with winning, um, sure. and which which is it's impo- nearly impossible to do in today's sports. Um, but the Yankees are the Yankees for a reason. There's 
that NY is, is special and it always has been. Um, but to it was weird the first time I put on the pinstripes and the expectation of winning was just different than any other uniform. It's because of the history and the success right. that they've had year in and year out. And that's it's something that not too many sports franchises can can say that about their organization. To that point, our guy Harrison Bader, I think, has done a tremendous job embracing that, right? As I think about, yeah. you know, we had a bunch of clients make the playoffs, and of course we're rooting for all of them, but I think out of the group of, you know, a little less than 10 that made the playoffs, I think that Harrison's obviously made the biggest impact so far. Um, mm-hmm. I saw some crazy stat that's like him and Mantle and one other Yankee um, in terms of, I think, three homers in their first four playoff games. And the other thing that I'll say uh, I talked a little bit with Harrison about this, and I, I'm mostly leaving him alone during the playoff run. Um, he had an added layer, in my opinion, to deal with in the sense that this is a kid that went to high school in the Bronx. He went to high school in the Bronx. He's from Westchester, 15 minutes north of the stadium. That's even another layer um, in terms of the pressure and what comes with it. And it's been pretty dope to see him thrive on the stage. Yeah, I mean – I think it probably helps him knowing what that environment is. Um, mm. If you if you know it, you you're familiar with it, and not necessarily prepared for it when you put the pinstripes on, but you you know what that feeling is like. You can embrace it. Um, you you it almost can take your game to another level. Um, and for him to go from St. Louis, which is obviously a, a big baseball place, yeah. like they love their Cardinals there to a fan base in New York that is as crazy as they get, um, as passionate as they get, as knowledgeable as they get. Uh, it's, it's good to see him doing what he's capable of doing, especially coming off of an injury too. It's like it's, right. it's, yeah. it's fun to traded, watch. Getting mm-hmm. traded, coming off the injury. Um, he stepped up big time. So, you know, excited for him tonight. Excited for our guy, James Karinczak as well uh, on the Guardians. Yeah. Uh, may the best team move on to the next round. Yeah. Um, Hopefully they're not quickly. facing each other late in the game. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that that's a funny thing. I'll talk about that for a second. Like, that dynamic of the heads-up aspect of baseball, you get it less commonly in football, but corner slash receiver, that happens. Right. Um, that's, that's tough to watch on our side. Yeah, if it's, you know, I don't even want to speak it to an existence. I'd rather it just kind of avoid that situation, frankly. Um but yeah, agreed. Hopefully we don't have to see that tonight. But if it does, they'll go mano y mano and the result will be the result. It's up to them. Exactly. Yep. Uh, pivoting to the NFT space and then we'll jump into our guests uh, for this week. Uh, wanted to talk quickly. It's a little bit past the hype cycle of it, which makes it maybe even a better time to talk about it. Um, you know, there was buzz around the SEC looking into Yuga. Um, you know, I obviously don't know the details. But what I will say is that um, I, globally speaking, without knowing anything behind the scenes, I see it as a net positive for the space. I'm a big believer that the faster we can get to guidance and understanding of what the rules and the regulations and the laws will be. And I understand that Web3 and the ethos of the decentralized internet is to not deal with laws and to have it be autonomous and decentralized. But I think realistically, at least in America, Um, I don't think we're going to get a a 100% version of that. I think it's utopian to think that way, being a little Mm -hmm. idealistic. Um, So I see it as a positive. I think it accelerates the information that we need as an industry. Um, I'm certainly 
looking at what the SEC has to say about whether it's Yuga or other projects that come. Um, but I see it as a positive. I know there was some negative sentiment around it, but I'm just kind of going on the record that you know this was inevitable. I think anybody that didn't think that the SEC was going to have their eye on an industry that's transacting billions globally, right. uh, again, is being naive and utopian. So that's where I said I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, how you see it. Yeah, I kind of have the same sentiment. Um, it's it's just a matter of time. Like you have an industry that is that is still young, uh, and like you said, billions of dollars going are going through it. Um, you have to have some things in place so the broader community can actually get involved and feel comfortable getting involved. And I think for a lot of people, it's it's the rules, it's the regulations, it's a lot of those things that that lend towards traditional things um, because they know they they know where it's coming from, they know they have a feel of more control. And for people who are with their money and not having as what they feel is not as much control into things, they're not really going to fully dive into it. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's only going to help um, things continue to grow in the right direction. For sure. Last thing I'll just say quickly before we bring on our guests. Um, I know within the Vayner sports pass universe, the black card auction, at least the primary auction is concluded. Um, everybody knows, I think, what's next in terms of wild card games. So just let everybody know that wild card games is a big focus right now. Um, we expect to come live here, I would say, in less than 30 days. I think early to mid-November is when the wild card game will start. So super excited for that. Be on the lookout for more on that front. And then without further ado, excited to welcome our guests, um, John and Corell from the Treasure Dow. Um, excited about this combo coming up here. So let's get to it. Hey, John, Corell, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Hey, ditto. Absolutely. Um, so let's just start. I think it's always good to give the audience kind of just a baseline. Uh, if each of you can just give you a quick, give us a quick background on you, and um, and then maybe each of you can give a point of view on on the things that you're working on and a background on that. Does that work? Uh, John, why don't you kick us off? You're on my left. Uh, I'm John Patton. I founded, I co-founded um, Treasure last fall. I've worked in uh, crypto for the last few years um, as a developer and growth person. Um, yeah, and now focus fully on NFTs. Awesome. Uh, Corel Vong, co-founder and head of ops at Treasure, um, came into this uh, more from the VC lens. So spent a lot of time being hands-on with, with companies, um, you know, on kind of the, the investment side all the way through to helping stand them up. Uh, background also in kind of building as well. Um, so, you know, great to get my hands dirty and, um, yeah, spending a lot of my time at, at Treasure, just um, everything kind of ops, partnerships, growing the team, scaling, um, you know, turning this thing into something, uh, something massive. Awesome. And on that front, so can you give everybody a little bit of background on what Treasure is and all the components that go into Treasure? Because I know it's multifaceted. Yeah, we started um, last fall. I launched the project in the middle of the night not expecting anything. I probably spent an hour on it with just this idea of um, these projects were emerging that wanted to create these game worlds really organically and use the community to build out all the features of it. And so we approached it and said, economies will be really important. And it'd be very interesting if there were a lot of games that all shared the same um, economy, like treasures and using NFTs um, as forms of money and over time, um, as the community showed up, we started realizing that this could be a platform 
And um, I kind of think of it like a theme park experience now. We want to build something where it's so immersive and you come in and you start using NFTs, you have your character and you, you're part of this world and the blockchain isn't even there. It's just the ability to fully experience the story and co-create it. Um, so over time, um, we were a, a free mint project. Um, we started generating a lot of revenue through royalties, um, which we were able to divest. And um, now we've brought in um, established game builders, um, which we can talk about later. Um, so we've just taken this really small vision of a community co-creating a game world, and now we're trying to build it into um, something that rivals the traditional game publishers. Nice. Can you, um, as far as the treasure ecosystem, would is it fair to say that like small brains and smalls are the leading aspect of that economy and that industry? Uh, I think so. I'm biased. I love the smalls, but it is like a very varied ecosystem. And, um, um, you know, we, we're trying to make something where everyone finds a character that resonates with them. Um, you know, in Marvel and Disney, there's just so much breadth to the identities there. And um, for me, it's smalls, um, but, you know, there's other projects that captivate people more. What are some of those projects? What are some, because I'm, I'm only, I think, in your ecosystem familiar with small and like, the other components of small, what are some of the other ones? So our the first project we started with was called Bridgeworld. And this is sort of an on-chain, almost kind of like um, D&D um, game. So it's much more, um, it's much grittier, dustier. And um, it's where smalls is sort of, the goal is just to have fun and um, be in a community, um, celebrating common values. Bridgeworld is more, like an MMORPG where it's very adversarial and people form guilds strategically. Um, but then we just started with these two projects of our own sort of to just see the idea of, hey, you can use this magic token and it can sit across a lot of worlds. And then a bunch of games um, uh, started coming in. Um, Carol can speak to that. He runs um, the partnership uh, wing of treasury. Uh, I think just to add, you know, I think with um, <clears throat> with, with Bridge World and, and really I think the the broader kind of like portfolio of games we have, a lot of it is, you know, kind of like, you know, we're, we're really kind of building this like decentralized game console in Nintendo, as, as John mentioned, you know, you have a bit of, you know, flavors for everybody, um, you know, in the same way that, you know, kind of Marvel or Disney has, has different character sets and, and sets of IP. And so I think, you know, Smallverse being one of them, Bridge World being another, we have, and these are the ones that we kind of created really to like, you know, start everything off at Treasure. It was our kind of proof of concepts and, you know, really to bootstrap and, and see if, you know, the, the kind of thesis that we had initially was was going to kind of pick up pick up wind. And so um, had some some really strong traction there. I think part of the, you know, really why we exist now is like, how do we then invite the community and, you know, a broader ecosystem to kind of build on, on top of treasure. And so, you know, we have a ton of games, um, you know, that are forming a lot that, you know, haven't yet been announced. Um, a few others, folks like um, Tales of Lyria, you know, they're building kind of like a, a 3D RPG um, kind of game as well. We have Knights of the Ether. They're building kind of like a Slay of the Spire, uh, kind of like deck building game. Super awesome kind of, you know, work that they're doing there. Uh, the Beacon is another one. So it's it's really kind of moving towards this, you know, again, like very diversified set. You know, we want there to be something that anyone can pick up. And then eventually, you know, as this ecosystem continues uh, to grow over time, 
you know, really building something that like, oh, well, if you really enjoy a genre, you can go deep and you can try and experience, you know, a lot of different games that, um, you know, that kind of sit underneath uh, Treasure. Wow. This is, so this one's kind of unique for, for our podcast because we mainly had artists on here. Like this is, mm -hmm. I'm staying, I'm sitting here just, just trying to absorb all this because this is, uh, to start to understand how deep it is and everything that goes into Treasure, this is, this is the next level. This is this is this is fun to kind of just listen to two two men who are just dialed into to what they're doing. Uh, Corel, for you, like going from what traditional VC stuff to to getting into this space. Like, what are some of the challenges? What are some of the things that you've kind of just had to just navigate through? That's like comparing the two. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think the. Um... You know, first and foremost, um, you know, kind of building in the open. I mean, Treasure in, in a lot of ways like operates as a DAO. And, you know, from, from our starting point, it was very much, you know, kind of going from the ground up. You kind of start off with like very opinionated and very public kind of, you know, folks who um, have a lot to add and have a lot to say. And I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, also inject a lot of life into the project. Um, it's not something that if you go back to kind of web two, it's very much, you know, it's your boardroom, it's your investors, it's your kind of executives within within that single organization. And maybe you have some advisors kind of helping out. Um, but you kind of flip that entire model on its head, you know, when, once you go into kind of web theory and certainly what we're doing. Um, and then I think the other part of it, you know, which uh, I personally really liked was, you know, our approach, you know, you're, you're, you kind of have a portfolio to support and, and it's very similar to, I think, you know, if you're in VC or, or if you're an investor overall, you know, you have a, a bunch of babies who, who, you know, who you try to give a lot of love to. Um, and in our case, it's, uh, you know, the, the games that we're kind of partnering with and, and that we're building. So there are a lot of, I'd say, similarities from, from that lens. But I think in, in a lot of ways, that bottom up approach really adds, a, you know, I think a different flavor, a lot of different kind of folks to, to be accountable for. Um, and then also, you know, the kind of ownership um, that is like a huge part of, you know, just like NFTs, huge part of gaming. Um, you know, whether it's the kind of NFTs themselves that, you know, can give you a opportunity, of course, you're a bit kind of, you know, more invested, um, but also, you know, how we're kind of creating it, it, it all, you know, is centralized around magic, our token. Um, and so anyone who, who owns that also has a say in really kind of how everything is governed, how we do things. And, you know, it's also used as the kind of, you know, token that um, allows you to, you know, enjoy and, and play the games that we're building. Corel, you touched on something that we've talked about before on the pod and I've talked about before. Um, the fact that like Web 2 versus Web 3, you're building in the open. I'd be curious to hear from you too pros of that and cons of that from your perspective and your experience? I'll let, uh, I'll let John jump in. No, go for it. Go for it, Carl. Yeah, I mean, I, I think pros is, you know, like the, there, there's a ton of them, right? And, and, and I think, you know, you, in a lot of ways, it's, it's hard, I think, to electrify the, you know, the, the people in the community, you know, uh, in the same way that you can do in Web3. Um, you know, and the fact that everyone feels like they're they're truly kind of part of something, you know, they can contribute. Um, and, and it all kind of ultimately goes down to, I think, how like the maybe core team needs to establish a lot of trust and needs to establish kind of like the right uh, foundation to really like get the most out of it. Um, and so, 
you know, everything in, in terms of like contributing to, for us, like, uh, you know, creating the game worlds or the IP or the stories that are tied to everything or, you know, being able to kind of impact those decisions or also kind of take matters into your own hands. So if you want to, you know, market with us or if you want to build, you know, games or tools or infrastructure with us, I, I think that's a huge boon that you can't really do in, in Web2, right? And, you know, unless you're part of the employee base or if you're somewhat invested in some way i mean you, you often kind of do this on the volunteer basis and, and you kind of see this kind of happen right but it's um it's nothing that that you know it ends up being more kind of fan fiction or, or just volunteer work and that doesn't really get codified into kind of the the makeup of whatever it is you're doing um and and so i think that's a huge part of it I think the other, the, the flip side to that is like, it, it can be distracting, right? And, and so to kind of, you know, build a product and, you know, do what you're doing as a kind of core team that in a lot of ways, you're trying to do that for the benefit of the entire kind of DAO and, and the community. And then of course, at the same time, you have to kind of be present in the community, right? And so it's kind of a double-edged sword um, and, and there's a lot of, of people to, to try to make happy. And, you know, ultimately mm -hmm. it's hard to, hard to do that across the board. John, what would you add on to that? Um, I definitely agree. The number of stakeholders and their varied interests, it makes it um, a lot harder to, mm -hmm. to do it. Um, just uh, speaking personally to the, the first year of the project was, um, you know, we started as this really just a middle of the night hobby thing. And then like within six months, it was valued at like three billion and we had all these um, things our team had grown to like a couple dozen people and um it's pretty disorienting when um so for your um uh, viewers sake there's these things in crypto called decentralized autonomous organizations and basically it's like if you want to if a group of people want to control a common treasury and not one person is controlling the purse it's the group the DAO lets you vote through governance to disperse it and it's just kind of how you can grow an organization where people um, are meeting randomly on the internet and freely joining and leaving. And the smart contract is kind of handling all of the uh, management of it. Um, so this is something that's, you know, only two or three years old. And um, the DAOs that are actually building products are, are growing, um, are just now beginning to build their first products. And no one really knows like what a DAO means. How horizontal should the leadership be? Um, should there be one core mission that the leader is communicating down the chain? And so we came in with this vision of, okay, we want to create this platform where a lot of people can, can build their own imaginations on top of. So finding the, the line between, actually, this is kind of inconsistent with what we're trying to do as a platform versus um, allowing all of that was like really difficult. And we're still learning um, how to do that, I imagine, and most people in DAOs would say the same thing in crypto right now. Makes a ton of sense. Um, something, pivoting topics a little bit, something I wanted to ask you guys about, because transparently, um, it's something that I've been analyzing and contemplating for our own project for a while, is the concept of staking. I'd love to hear how you guys look at staking. I know Small has staking. Um, we'd be curious how you see it, and I think it'd just be good for our audience given that we've talked about staking for the sports pass, it'd be good to hear from a project already utilizing it and what they think is, you know, the benefit and where the opportunities are and maybe lessons learned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for us, 
um, we had this um, kind of goofy idea where you've got this picture of a monkey and its head is really small. If you stake it in school to learn all day, its IQ goes up. And for every 50 IQ points, its head would get a little larger. Um, so staking was, um, you know, kind of the, the mechanism that propelled it. And for us, um, if, if we had had a more sophisticated mechanism of like making the whole, everyone cooperate to make the world advance because their land got more sophisticated, the smarter they were, we'd probably use it. Like staking itself is really valuable um, in crypto. If you can use it in a way to like demonstrate people who, who aren't just speculating on the asset, but they've actually been in the community putting in time. And um, that's one way you can track that um, along with, um, um, you know, other more qualitative things like, okay, he made a good point over there and so we'll credit him with something. But staking is very like an automated way of tracking who's been here and like contributing. Crow, what do you think? Uh, yeah, definitely echo that. I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, putting, putting your money where your mouth is and, and kind of committing something um, that, you know, it's kind of understood. And, and, and I think for us, like we have used it in a way that, you know, kind of supports the, the game, uh, you know, the, the games that we're kind of building. And, and, you know, it's not just kind of small verse and, and small brains, like, we, you know, we have Bridge World who's doing it, you know, you have to stake something, they got to go on a quest, they got to come back and, and bring some items back with them. And, you know, and then a whole bunch of other kind of use cases around that. So I think it's, you know, it's definitely a, a common kind of like, you know, mechanism that's that's kind of used across the board. Um, I, I think, you know, there's and, and we'll kind of see how that evolves over time. And, you know, you're seeing a bit of a shift into, you know, maybe it's a combination of that. And then, you know, in order to kind of like unlock the ability for you to play a game or, or experience something, you know, that that might be a bit more akin to kind of like a traditional, like, you know, true kind of gaming experience. Maybe you'll have to stake your item to, in order to kind of access that. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think it's um, it's it's going to be part uh, of, of the course. Uh, and, and, you know, we're. we're we're big uh, kind of proponents of it. I just no, sorry. yeah. Go ahead. You're good. Oh no, sorry. Oh, it just no, uh, no. occurred to me. I was going to say so. A lot of like um, crypto native people, when they look at NFT staking, they're like, "This isn't the point of staking." Because normally, when you stake an asset, there's a consequence to mm -hmm. it's your collateral, like this your reputation on the line. So if you're validating the network and you approve a malicious transaction or you are the malicious actor, you get slashed. So there's a bunch of cool stuff we can do in NFTs where it's like I'm putting, as Carl said, putting my money where my mouth is. If that's staking on a particular person, so like reputational based systems or just things where it isn't just passively putting your asset there, but there are consequences when you put your name out there um, and you and you abuse that. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, uh, from I'm not the most knowledgeable in the space. Um, I've kind of gotten my education through AJ and through just time spending with different people uh, on this podcast and doing research after each one of them and hearing staking and hearing DAOs and hearing things that are kind of those buzzwords in the community of like, okay, I need to learn more about these things. Um, so let's, let's go back to the beginning. And I said, you had an idea one night and or you had an idea and you executed it in a night. How do you, how did you manage when it actually started to blow up that fast? How do you navigate that process of kind of really trying to not necessarily hit the brakes, but truly understand the value that you built in such a short period of time? And then how did you make that 
just continue to to grow. Like, I don't think people understand how difficult that is and how the process and the, the responsibility of what comes along with that. How did you and your team manage that process and how difficult was it really? Um, it was difficult. I mean, you, you've lived in the public eye like much more than we have or will. So like in our little niche or whatever, we were thrust into that eye and it is hard to like scale because on, on one hand, we, it would have been better if we went slower and did fewer things, but we're all really convinced that like, you know, the next Disney, like if it doesn't exist, it will in the next couple of years and the scale of what they're accomplishing or will accomplish will be so massive. There'll be so many product verticals and the, the nuances on how you users engage with these platforms, there'll be like little self-sovereign um, systems, theme parks. And um, so, yeah, there was that tension and we could have done it a lot better for sure, where it's like, we need to make each piece perfect, but also there's like a huge vision and we need to be tackling um, as much of this as soon as we can. Yeah, that's, uh, that's impressive because it, it, most people in this world think, okay, there's Disney and they've got the monopoly. They're not going to, there's nothing that's gonna, that's gonna uh, like even eclipse them or even getting anywhere close to them. But then you have individuals like yourselves that are like, no, there's Disney and then there's something next and we wanna be that next thing. So that's, even for me as an entrepreneur, that's, that's something that inspires me to just continue going down that path of, no, I wanna be the next one, um, which, is, which is phenomenal being on this, being on this with you guys. Yeah, I am. Um, I love that. If I, if I can add, I think, you know, if you and just looking at the gaming space, right, and, and let's kind of abstract away the, the Web3 and kind of NFT components, I think with like, you know, you started off with these giants who, you know, were, were all over desktops, right? And, and, you know, they're building games for desktop. And, you know, eventually mobile came. And, you know, a lot of these players actually didn't want to kind of touch that because it was, you know, way too early. It was unproven. Uh, they had a, a good formula. And then you had these kind of like, you know, new mobile game publishers come out, uh, Supercell, right? And, and a whole bunch of others who kind of created something massive out of that. And eventually, you know, the folks who had created really the kind of incumbent systems on, on desktop and, and PC, you know, they eventually kind of came over. And so I think we're kind of seeing that in a way with, with NFTs, like people are, you know, they're kind of, they're paying attention, they're keeping an eye out, but I think they're the first movers for a lot of folks are, you know, jumping into, um, you know, really this kind of new wave of, you know, NFTs, Web3 gaming on the blockchain, you know, uh, we're, we're still testing things out and we're still kind of proving it to, to see if it really works. Um, but, you know, I think in a lot of ways we, you know, for us, especially like we have conviction that this is going to be where, where folks will move. Um, and, you know, it's a new medium on top of everything. It'll, you know, be applicable on PC, desktop and mobile. And we're working towards that. Yep. No, Crow, I love that point just because I so vividly remember that transition or not transition, I guess the, the, the creation of that mobile gaming market. And I remember the skepticism and the hesitancy from the big publishers. And like you said, Supercell, Zynga, um, although Zynga, I guess, was more of like the social media than mobile. So that's even like a different category of the social yeah, gaming space. Um, no, but I love that call out. And, you know, it's fun for me being 35 now. I remember when I first started my career right out of school and I was deep into the social media space, I kept hearing people reference like, things that happened in the past and I had no context for it because I was just like in school and doing what I was doing. But now being 35, seeing the social media era, seeing the mobile era and now seeing this blockchain era, 
I finally get to be like, oh yeah, just like when this happened in 09 or when this happened in 12. And so I think that's a great call out. And I haven't really crystallized the gaming perspective that way. So it's, it's great to hear it that way. I appreciate it. Um, one thing that I had down that I wanted to ask you guys about, because um, I had a nice call with the team from there a couple of days ago. Can you talk through, again, going back to when it started, how did you guys land on Arbitrum as the blockchain of choice for this vision? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, the, the layer two on Ethereum, um, the scaling debates had just started. And um, I think Arbitrum had been live maybe a month. Um, and so we were kind of making decisions with a lot of uncertainty. And I, I, I think that the, even what Arbitrum is now at a consensus layer, like how how you submit transactions and who can see them, that kind of stuff is going to completely change because this technology is so um, new. But their team was like um, very open, willing to help us. They're helping us build things on the side now that we'll get to speak about. But in general, we thought like, okay, if we want to make, if the metaverse is like a story that exists on the internet that you can co-create with other people, you're going to be doing a lot of transactions. And um, on layer one, especially during the bull run, you know, and you're sometimes paying a hundred dollars to do a transaction. You can't like, you can't engage actively in the world with someone else. So we wanted to go somewhere. Where we, okay. We can do a lot of transactions really cheaply. Um, but it also needs to have the security of Ethereum that NFT collectors depend Got on it. because, yep. you know, the whole, um, to me, the whole joy of NFTs is collecting these things that, and this is um, something that's mine that expresses who I am and, so as soon as like you worry that it's going to disappear, um, then the entire value of NFTs disappears. Um, so Arbitrum is that right middle ground between the um, speed and security for us. Makes a ton of sense. And then um, the next thing I was curious about, I made notes before this, you keep seeing me reference it, because uh, I was excited for this one in particular. Um, Smallverse and gaming, like, can you guys go a little bit deeper into that and like what you're excited about, what people can maybe expect over the next few months or years in, in that specific lane? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're really excited and um, yeah, I'm honestly humbled by like, we're working with this team Strider Dow. And so Andrew Green um, has a couple decades experience working um, at Tinyco and EA. And so we brought in this team who um, left traditional gaming um, and then they want to do web through gaming and their thesis when they came in was um, not only like, do you get to own your assets, but the cool thing about web three is like, you can build stuff in the open and the community can contribute to it. So we want to, you know, we've, we, we linked up with these, um, these guys and gals who built like a bunch of successful game franchises. And they're like, now we want to go into web three and like do this with a really strong community, which is what they saw us as as um, community leaders. So Smallville is going to take about a year to 18 months to fully develop, but it's all going to be um, in the Discord with the community where they weigh in on the lore, um, the game loops. And so, um, yeah, they feel like they actually built this product with everyone else. We're really excited about that. Yeah, just uh, quickly jump in. I, I feel like we we can uh, give them a bit more homage. Um, you know, this this team is is incredible. Like they've built games like you know Harry Potter, uh, Hogwarts Mystery. They've built GTA San Andreas, Red Dead wow. Redemption, uh, Portal Two. You know, so so really you know heavy hitters that have kind of come from like you know really esteemed kind of backgrounds in in the space and. Um, you know, I think importantly, like how we kind of see it and, and where they've kind of aligned is like, 
you know, the, the whole motto behind game publishing is broken, right? It's like, it's, it's these walled gardens. What this entire space represents is, is going back to the whole ownership piece, right? And, and so being able to take matters into your own hands as, as a player, as a gamer, um, being able to control where everything goes, you know, this is, and, and what we've kind of been, been framing this and, and kind of building around is like, you know, what we're ultimately doing now is like building a game is now a game in itself, right? And, and so you have, you know, all these different elements where, you know, as a community, you can get really involved, you can kind of go along that path, dictate the story. Of course, the, you know, the folks that are kind of building the game, like, you know, they're gonna, you know, continue to kind of direct and, you know, kind of call the shots. Um, but, it, you know, it's really in, in kind of close collaboration with, with the players. Um, it's, it's almost the reverse of, of how you would kind of do it in, in the traditional kind of way. And, and so we're, we're super excited about that. Nice. I wish I was a, wish I was a gamer. Um, I never really got into gaming for some reason. I guess I was just too busy trying to hit a baseball. I don't know. Uh, but some, a lot of my teammates were gamers. But this is this makes me want to dive into a little bit more. Uh, so obviously, given the market um, and where things are right now, and everybody obviously skeptics always want to point to the negatives. But for you guys, did you did it force you guys to have to pivot at all, or even dig in deeper and go even harder? Like, what was your kind of mindset? And I'm assuming. I know the answer to this based off of the you, just the space you got into and wanting to to be the best at it. I can probably assume what that answer is, but I'd love to hear um, how you guys went about that. Um, yeah, I mean, we're still learning what we don't know. There was a lot of we had like unbounded uh, ambition and optimism at the beginning, and then you know it's like okay, game design is very difficult, and we're you know we're learning this. Um, with experts and um, you know we are like novices to some extent in this and the but the things we are experts in like we think that we can help gaming um, like be something that hasn't really existed before and like um, a, a couple examples would be um, so I come from a decentralized finance background which is all about building protocols to just efficiently swap assets and if we want to make like um, game worlds and metaverses that can people be in really actively, then um, you shouldn't just be switching around Bitcoin. You should just be using these cool looking NFTs and lots of them and like passing them around. And we know how to build things like that, which is um, the value of this experiential and not finance. And, um, you know, there'll be a lot of game companies that come in and build things with NFTs, but like we love NFTs. Um, we understand like what people, why they want to collect them, because we do that stuff and um, the joy and imagination of them. Um, you know, we're not experts in game design, but in terms of just like sheer love of NFTs and, and understanding what makes markets tick, like that's what we're good at. So we're just, um, yeah, we're, we're coming experts in, in things we weren't at the beginning. Nice. Yeah. If, if I can just really quickly add, I think, you know, we're, we're so early in the space too. And, you know, I think with uh, the, 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 the bear market, you know, we, we've seen a lot of folks who, you know, may have been a bit more financially motivated and, and kind of, you know, driven by speculation kind of rotate out. And, you know, what's been left behind is are, are really the folks who are kind of here to really enjoy and, and kind of, you know, uh, really innovate with us. Right. And, and I think, a lot of those those kind of learnings that we've developed over time and, and just kind of building it, you know where we're you know it's it's really no different right like we're still super heads down we're still kind of grinding away and um you know i think we're, we're getting everything ready for the next wave and everything we've been doing uh, you know between 
raising some more capital to just making it a lot easier for anyone to get magic and, and get onto treasure. Um, yep. You know, being a one step removed from kind of, you know, Ethereum, you know, you, you, there's a bit more friction, in it, but it's all about making, you know, things as, as easy as possible. And, and also the other side of it is like, let's get all the, the greatest kind of builders here. Let's get all the games that are, you know, kind of doing really cool stuff and, and let's create, you know, some, some, you know, really delightful experiences that people can kind of jump in with and uh, start enjoying themselves. Cause you know, it's, at the end of the day, that's, uh, that's, that's what everything's about. Awesome. Well, good stuff. I'm a, I'm a big fan of what you guys are up to. I'm really glad we could uh, get the four of us to chat here mm-hmm. and um, where, you know, just to leave it off for anybody that's learning about you guys for the first time, where do you think is the best, place for people to keep tabs is it your twitter is it your discord where should people go yeah definitely um twitter t- twitter would be a good spot so twitter.com slash treasure underscore dao um and then there should be a link to bring you to everything but uh between that awesome. discord and uh yeah that's a good place to start cool well Corel, john appreciate you guys joining us today um this was a lot of fun exciting like Vernon said it was nice to have a different type of guest in the nft space most mm-hmm. have been either project, project uh, mostly on the creative side. So the fact that you guys are on the more technical side, I think is a nice change of pace. And again, appreciate you guys coming today. Yeah, thanks thanks for having us. And, you know, I just for your viewers, Gary and I, AJ, put us on the map, really. Uh, like Gary's fleet on <laughs> New Year's Day. Really, really. Well, yeah, absolutely, well, yeah. That's um, awesome to hear. Well, then that, that means in turn, I feel like I put you guys on the map because I'm the one that introduced Gary to y'all. So you I'm going to take the credit. I appreciate the <laughs> shout out and uh, appreciate you guys. Look forward to staying in touch and talking more. Thanks, Thank you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Going Deep. To learn more about Vayner Sports Pass, please follow us on Twitter at VSPass. Also, don't forget to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel.